Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Expanding freedom and democracy are what America has always been about. You're the voice of American exceptionalism. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Was Mike Pompeo a few years ago, who was Secretary of State under Donald Trump, you might remember, still using that term American exceptionalism. And it's still used today, mainly by Americans and increasingly lately, because their economy is doing better than most and their share market is on a bit of a bender. Why? Because America is exceptional. Didn't you hear that? So is this hiding the truth? Let's entertain the notion today that America isn't exceptional and rising shares don't mean an improving economy, although they are seeing more growth than just about anybody else. So that is the exception. So maybe they have a case. That's this week on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Well, we know it's hard not to do what America expects of you. I mean, militarily, the West relies on them to step up to the plate when all those countries who haven't spent as much on defense can't get by by themselves on their own. But that means, of course, we surrender our own political agenda for whatever it is that America believes in, which uh, can be hard to fathom at times. For example, Elon Musk is already speaking out against spending money on Ukraine, saying that we'll never beat Russia, so just let them win. And you know what Elon says, Donald is sure to follow. So there's a, uh, a foretaste of what we can expect at the end of the year. But that aside, what about the reliance on America in terms of business and finance? Let's take the equity markets as a good example. So the US share market has a market cap that amounts to 70% of all the world's totally listed market cap. 70% of all money spent on shares is spent on shares in America. Now, if that sounds a lot... It, because it is. In 2008, uh, which isn't that long ago, it was way less than 50%. So what's changed? Well, to a large extent, the Magnificent Seven. So Meta share price is up over 150% in the last 12 months. Alphabet or Google not doing quite as well, but they're still up 50% over the year. Microsoft is about the same, and so is Netflix. Uh, Amazon up 70% in the last 12 months, all in a time when the S&P generally just rose 20%, well below the levels of big tech. So, Steve, this is a problem, isn't it? If one country dominates, let's just look at equities first of all. If one country dominates, arguably the future, because people are investing in how they expect these companies are going to do, if you dominate in such a big way, that becomes a problem for everybody else, not for America, of course. They're, they're loving it. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I have a general picture about this American exceptionalism, and I'll, I'll give, give a couple of anecdotes because it, it's something which it isn't just restrained to the stock market. It was just the stock market. You know, you say that casino is dominated by, you know, fly-ins from America. Uh, rather than flying from China, it seems to apply in Australia. But to me, it's a casino. Uh, you know, and you could ignore it. You could ignore it otherwise. But it's in everything, and it, it permeates the culture of America, and it permeates how they affect foreign relations, 
military interventions, everything else. So I had one of the first anecdotes about that. Uh, there's a guy applied to do a PhD with me at Kingston, and he was supposed to do uh, some particular form feeling. I've forgotten what it was. And he, he hadn't done it, so I just reminded him. He wrote back to me saying, oh, I believe in American exceptionalism. And everything I look at, I think, well, does this really apply to me as an American? And I said, right, you're not going to be my PhD student. I do not want that mindset to be lying between me and you talking over intellectual issues. He was outraged. How dare you not take on an American? I said, because you're an American and you believe you're exceptional. And I, I think this applies to their politics in general. Uh, and a phrase which I saw this you know, in my own youth in the 70s when you had the Vietnam War coming to an end, thank God. Uh, but, but the attitude of America to everything was effectively the same as a house owner to what happens in the backyard. Uh, what's, why is that weed growing in my backyard? And I coined the, tam- the term, not American exceptionalism, but the parochiality of empire. And the and empire sees everything in the rest of the world as uh, disobeying what the, the uh, owner of the rest of the world, the, that's why I use the house in the backyard analogy, uh, wants to have done. And they plunge into issues where they have no understanding of, of why, for example, it was a bad idea to invade Iraq when there were two uh, major religiously based factions in the country, Shia and Shiite, uh, and you had a minority governing a majority, uh, and not knowing what they were going to do when they interjected their Western Ang- Anglo-American attitudes into uh, a, a, an internally conflictual system, which itself was created by the British. I mean, you, you just get a cascade of ignorances about the rest of the world, and they see everything from their perspective, and it's no damn wonder they stuff up the bloody planet. <laughs> right, good. Uh, and, and it continues. I mean, but, I mean, that continue, you know, that whole, you know, fighting over Islamic factions continues, doesn't it? And it's, uh, so you, you put your fingers into into that game, and you're never going to win, and we are experiencing that right now, obviously, in terms of, you know, Iran basically controlling multiple wars on multiple fronts. Uh, and America is obviously in on all of that. But let's not talk about the military because, I mean, that's a that's a different discussion. Let's just talk about mm-hmm. American, okay. American money and American, <laughs> an, an American business. American money, that sounds like a song. <laughs> it, and, but American, if you want to, if you want to get, if you are a startup and you've got a great idea, you almost have to go to America because it's America is where you're going to get the finance. It's where the market is. It's where you, it, it's it's where you've got to start in a way. It's very hard, isn't it, to start a business in Australia or the UK? Uh, really, if you've got a great tech idea in particular, you, you know, you've almost got to move to Silicon Valley. Yeah, and like I've I've got personal experience of that right now. We're trying to develop Ravel, which I'll be talking about more as we get closer and closer to doing a commercial launch of it. Uh, but yeah, the, the first you 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 don't because you have that enormous volume of money you mentioned, of course, dominated by the Tech Seven uh, at the moment. Uh, then it's all it's almost automatic that if you want to get something started in tech, you're going to find it easier if you can manage to knock on an American door. If you try knocking on an Australian one, and I've also had direct personal experience 
of, of that. So the, 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 because the money is in, you know, the share of valuation, the explosive increase in, 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 in valuations and the marketing and so on is centered around America, then that becomes where you've got to go. And it's actually, there's, there's, a, there's a theory in economics, but one of the few things worth learning in conventional economics or by, which is respected by conventional economists is called the hoteling uh, hypothesis. And that is that if you look at a spread of uh, industries on a geographic basis, you don't get a perfect market outcome. The usual neoclassical stuff says, you know, leave it to the market, you'll get a perfect balance. And that's full of more crap than I have time to discuss today. But Hotelling's idea was imagine you had a beach uh, on which yeah. there was an ice cream uh, you had, you know, as the very first ice cream uh, distributor. Well, there's a sensible location that the people are e- evenly distributed along the beach. Then you whack it right in the middle of the beach. Then you have a competitor turning up. Now, what's the ideal situation for the people on the beach in terms of customers are buying ice cream? Well, that's the, the you have them at the one third of the beach and two thirds of the beach location, which means nobody has. Yeah. And we've covered this before, yeah. but they all they, 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 they both lump together. To each other they the all middle. go next to each other yeah. and they get half the beach yeah. each. And you have sure. yeah. So this is this is and, and that is that, that is, what, this is what's and happening. That is here. what we're seeing with it. Yeah. Well, it's what we're seeing with the tech industry, isn't mm. it? Absolutely. But, I mean, it, it's not just necessarily uh, being in America, is it? It's just that you need to be, you know, if you want to get listed, you want to get listed on those exchanges. So, uh, you know, we, we've got companies that are not necessarily American companies that want to list on uh, on the American stock exchange. So they, they move to America for that to happen. And then you get this big inflow of capital as well going into the United States with people buying those shares, not necessarily American money, money that's flowing into the U.S. as mm. well. So you talk about it being a casino, but, I mean, which obviously it is, but also it is helping to raise capital for some businesses as well. And it's not necessarily American money that's flowing into there. It's a mix of American money and money coming from overseas. Well, this, this, yeah, and, and this is what gives you an over. Again, this has got all sorts of other consequences as well, because it certainly means that you're looking in the tech world, and yes, you get, you know, you get, you know, Indian rupees get converted into American dollars so that you can capitalize your company in the United States of America, which is demand for American dollars. And that for, as, as well as meaning that gives the, the financial and the, uh, the, you know, the stock market side of America immense power, it also means that the American dollar is massively overvalued for manufacturers trying to export in the opposite direction. So it, it helps out the financial system, but it hollows out the industrial system of America. Yeah, and I don't know what they do about that. And, and, and for it being a casino, uh, where would you imagine the largest net purchases of U.S. assets? Well, let's just look at stocks. The largest mm. net purchaser. Where in the world do you reckon most of the money comes from? And this is in 2022, and I haven't got the exact figure. Looking on a graph, it looks like it's about $170 billion worth of investment in that year in U.S. stocks. Where, where do you reckon it comes from? Oh, boy, you've got me here. Um, hmm. Well... I'd be jumping China or India, and my third bet would be, bet would be Europe. But I'm, you know, I'm certainly <laughs> no, well, in the dark this, here. This is shows how it's a game that you and I will never play in. Yeah, it's the Cayman Islands. Oh Jesus! Okay, of course, tax haven. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh my God! Have you ever been to a tax haven? No, okay. okay. But I, I mean, I understand. Yeah. There's an address which has got like 50 businesses, and there's well, really I, just someone. I, I went to, I went to the. Um, I'm trying to remember. This is the two marriages ago, but with my first wife, we went to. I think it was the Cayman Islands, and uh, this is back in the late 1990s, and we. Uh, you know, went there for snorkeling and to add to the drama she left our paddy cards behind so we ended up going uh, in one of the abyss um, 
submersibles instead. Um, but we went to that building and I've, I don't think I've took a photograph, unfortunately, this is before digital cameras. Um, but there were, it was a whitewashed two-story building about the size of a reasonably well-off, you know, a McMansion sort of size, not, not, not a large McMansion, like, you know, what they call the medium-sized Mc, Mc, uh, McDonald hamburger. Uh, and there were 50 or 60 plaques on the door, including News Limited and quite a few others, and no one was home. Mm. And it was that that building uh, is probably where most of the investment money is coming from. This is money laundering, and and this is another thing that casinos. You know, we try as, as much as we can to stop actual casinos from doing money laundering, but the stock market is clearly enabling money laundering. Uh, so the wealthy are keeping the wealth to themselves. Yeah, yeah. It's, Cayman it's, Island. What's number two? Uh, for stocks, it would be, uh, well, just as an aggregate, Middle East oil exporters. Okay. Yeah, I fear then, I should have thought of them. Yeah, yeah. Then Singapore. Uh, then, oh, no, then China, I should say. Then mm. then, then Singapore, then Germany. Oh, well. Uh, so that, so, how, that, that, so and Luxembourg pulled yeah. out a lot of money that year. So actually a negative in terms of. Well, that's, uh, where, the, that's where you go to live. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, geez. I mean, it's. <laughs> So the Cayman I mean, Islands. Does, I should have known. Yeah, I should have known. I know, but I mean, what a staggering figure! 170 billion in one year. So I mean, it's so uh, you know, it's so we've got, and of course, China. Meanwhile, you know, is just not uh, is not attracting investment at all. So I'm just wondering whether this is a bad sign for the future that you know you've got this yawning chasm now between U.S. and China in terms of uh, equity share. And the U.S. is claiming more and more. So there's more investment going into tech. And these big tech players, as we were talking about with Giannis a few weeks ago, are just dominating so much of society. Like, you can't buy anything that's not Amazon. You know, I mean, Amazon's got, what is it, 50% of the retail share in the United States. And actually, not the biggest. I mean, we can talk about that in in a moment. But it's just the, the idea that so much... Uh, is now getting dominated by tech and America is dominating tech and there's not nobody else gets a look in. I don't know how you get around that problem. Yeah, well, I mean, again, the, the point you're making, I mean, the Cayman Islands is a major a major issue there. <laughs> I'm kicking myself for not nominating a tax haven immediately. But yeah, what, what we have is people are evading tax. Now that, you know, this is where the MMT point comes in. It's not that that means they're not funding public enterprises, though that it, 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 mean, it means that if there's, there's pressure to reduce the tax take, which means reduce the scale of government activity in general, um, with a smaller gap, if, if it's the gap between tax and spending that creates fiat money. Now, if you, but if you you need a substantial amount of tax in the first place to have the public services that we we also take for granted in more advanced countries than America, you know, that's you know the Scandinavian countries and so on with a higher tax take also have much much higher provision of public services. Uh, but if you what what you have is by people evading taxes, they're meaning that the, gov- the money that the government creates and injects into the system is taken out of our bank accounts, the poor, not the wealthy's bank accounts. So they accumulate additional money over and above what they should in terms of taxable income, and then put that back into ownership of more shares again. So it's a concentration process, concentration mm. of wealth. Um, but th- that's you know, that, and, and that concentration of wealth is elevating those the the, the price of those assets. Yeah. So again it's it's, it's a feedback mm. process which just which which means of course they come back and then with if they're not going to be paying tax with the money what are they're not going to be 
putting their money back into tax, you know, destroying money that way. They're going to accumulate that money and put it into ownership of further capital resources, which further mm. en- enhances the in- inequality that, you know, is, is possibly so the most clear. defining feature of the system we live in. Yeah, and, and it's so clear in America. I mean, going mm. to Chicago last year, I was shocked thinking that this is a first world country yeah. and the the gap between the very rich and the with my relatives who one of, one of whom boasted about the fact he keeps his air conditioning on uh, in his house in Florida even when he's not living there just to keep the house cool uh, <laughs> yeah. and then and then seeing you know the poverty on on the streets in Chicago it's it's staggering and it is vulgar. staggering I think they, 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 but that's, that's actually I haven't actually I must must give myself time to sit down and listen to the uh, Putin interview with what, what's that American politician who went there and uh, I've forgotten his name no no politician the Fox News guy yeah yeah yeah, yeah okay uh, he was he was stunned by the subways in Russia which I've been in and they're stunning they're beautiful works of art and this is yeah. because it's because he's not been a Tucker Carlson is the guy because so he's yeah, not, Carlson, clearly okay. not been anywhere else he's not yeah. been outside uh, America and he, he, clearly. Thinks what, he thinks the American subway is standard now if I had to think the two ugliest subways in the planet It'd be New York number one and London number two. Well, London police has quirks in its favour. Yeah, and you haven't uh, been on the Elizabeth line, Steve. Huh? Elizabeth line's gorgeous. On... No, that's that's what. But that's what <laughs> and that's you find. Investment. But that's what that's, you, you know. But that's what you find in France. You find it in the Netherlands. You find it in most European mm. countries with a higher tax take. Also, mm. you know, higher government spending above that again, which they're mistakenly trying to reduce. But you need that so that you provide the public. What, what what was once described by uh, John Kenneth Galbraith, uh, you should have public affluence. Okay, you said what we get instead is is private affluence and public squalor, and right. American cities are just a sign of what happens when you don't have a large enough tax take, as well as don't have enough government spending on top over and above the the tax level. Uh, so yeah, they they go somewhere else in the world and they see how bloody awful uh, their public system is, and you need that to have a civilized society. Yeah. So here's the, so it is a quirk, isn't it? Here you've got people who are avoiding tax, as you say, money that could. I mean, okay, we we know how the, the we know, tax we know how really it works. works. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but you know, but it, people are avoiding paying tax, so that's seen as a reason for not spending as much uh, on on public services, and that money is being spent to buy up more. Uh, equities, which is pushing up the value of equities, does that really matter? Uh, you know, in terms of the scheme of things. So, is, so I guess we, as we go to this break, America is seeing this big increase in its share of all the equities in the world. Mm. Do we do we care too much, or is it just creating an, equi- an inequality that is America's problem more than anyone else's? Well, it's twofold because, to a large degree, equity the equity market should be where capital is created, but it's often where you know speculative ownership is is created rather than new investment. But there is a bit of the new investment which is captured courtesy of that huge dominance of the American market. But in general, it shows we rely far too much on letting the activities of a casino determine the development of uh, of societies. And that was Keynes's old point from back in the 1930s. And if you look at what happened when we went from a, a period where we didn't put the stock market front and center, which is the 50s and 60s, to where we ha- have done that, the 70s in particular, the 80s, the economic growth rate should have increased because we've got you know, more private creation of capital, blah, blah, blah. In fact, when you look over the global system, the rate of economic growth was about one and a half to two times higher under the so-called constipated Keynesian policies than it was when the neoclassicals came over and exalted the stock market above everything else. 
All right. Okay, loads of questions on that. When we come back, it's the Debunking Economics podcast. Me and Steve Keen, stay with us. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So, Steve, we were talking just before the break, and we won't just talk about the, the, the equity markets, but let's just finish off on that, the fact that it has increased so much, particularly the Magnificent Seven in the US, because tech has been doing so well. And we've talked about, you know, how a lot of that clearly has been elevated by tax dodging and that so much money is coming from the Cayman Islands. American money, probably, isn't it? This has come again, back yeah. into American stocks versus the Cayman Islands. Uh, I raise the question as to whether we really care. Is it just da- damage that America is, is doing to itself? So if it is... Do I mean, and we're seeing less invested in share in European shares, for example. Is the European economy really losing out, or does it really make no difference to the European economy? So we, you know, we're looking at growth, for example, because obviously America is growing much better than everybody else. Is that in any way tied to the fact that we that, are seeing greater that, investment? That is more, and, and this, this comes down to a different issue, and it's actually much more MMT aligned as well. European countries are obsessed with getting their budget deficits below 3% yep. of GDP. The Americans have been under Biden, and this have to say this is possibly a certain credit for Stephanie Kelton's capacity to convince a large number of leading Democrats that they shouldn't be worried about the deficit. America is still creating fiat money by having a substantially larger government deficit, and that is counteracting the, de- the deflationary impacts of higher private rates on private credit creation. So when you look at the aggregate uh, money creation by the fiat system on the one hand and credit system on the other, America is still running substantially positive, whereas Europe is so obsessed with getting negative uh, reducing government deficits are running surpluses rather than deficits and their credit system is also affected by the high rates so you're not getting the same rate of credit money creation overall. You've got higher money creation in America and well duh you get a high rate of growth of the capitalist economy. Europe is lower because it's you know crucifying itself by not understanding fiat money creation and not understanding credit money creation either. So very easy to, to fix that balance then, isn't it? Just in, invest more uh, money in the in the public sector in Europe, problem solved. And we talked about that in terms of money creation last week. But what also about the, the, the domination of the US dollar? So let me give you some numbers on that. So there's 21 trillion, if we look at M2, for definition of M2, we fed on last week's episode, yeah. uh, there's 21 <laughs> trillion uh, in US dollars for a country of 330 million people. That's 63,000 per person, just a bit below the average wage, although not everyone works, of course. Mm-hmm. 
very old people don't work. Babies, even in America, don't work. Uh, we look at uh, 3.8 trillion in US dollars in terms of the UK money supply, M2 money supply, for a country of 67 million. That's 58,000 per person. Not too dissimilar, uh, given how much the US dollar is used overseas. 2 trillion US dollars for Australia, for a country of 26 million. That's 77,000. Actually, more than the United States. I looked at all those numbers and I was thinking, right, we're going to see, because the American dollar is used so much, we're going to see that there is so much more US dollars in circulation. But actually, that's not the case. When we look at the money supply as a whole, when we look at notes and coins, it's a very, very different story. The, the, the US dollar is you know, flooding many parts of the world. But in terms of total money supply, the U.S. is not actually, you know, look at it on related to the population. The U.S. actually is not that much more. There's not that much more money in, in circulation. Does that surprise you? Not particularly. I mean, I don't think it's, it's as relevant as people would like it to be in conventional economic theory. If you look at how Bernanke tried to explain the Great Depression, it was largely over the ratio of gold to, to base money and base money to M1 and M1 to M2 and so on and so forth, uh, and relating all of those to GDP. Uh, it's really the, it's the level of turnover of the money uh, is, is an essential. And so, is, of course, they, leave, they, they don't understand credit money creation, so they're not looking at the, the scale of money created by the banking sector. Uh, and and it's also not to get America is not the world's most prop, uh, prosperous country on a per capita basis. The Scandinavian, mm. I don't know where it sits in the global scale these days, but it's it's down about number 10 or 15 in per capita income. So I'm not amazed to see it having a lower level of money per capita either. Until you start looking at cash. So uh, almost 10% of all US currency is cash. Come again? You know, how, no, much, no, how much of 10%. Percent. Of US money, you mean, not currency? Yeah, in terms, yeah, in terms of notes and coins, 10% of all of that M2 supply uh, is cash. Whereas, that's, that, that's another funny piece of American exceptionalism. And let's, let's yeah. say, this is, this is 4%, 4% in the UK, 4% in most, 3 or 4% in most countries, but, but that's 10% back, in America. That's backwards exceptionalism. And this one thing, again, I find quite remarkable. It, it, there's so many quirks to America. If you try to interpret it just as a capitalist nation, you're going to fall over on so many different details. It's a religious nation. It's a militaristic nation as well. And you've got to combine all those components together to try to make sense of the place. But I remember going through um, uh, America, oh, this is a, the early 2000s, and a good friend was in the neighbouring state uh, of the plane. I was, I, I couldn't go and visit him, but I thought I'd give him a telephone call. And I, there was a, this is back in the days when you still had physical uh, phones to make uh, make calls. And I found one, and it said, okay, uh, th- this call will be, you know, five minute call will be six dollars and seventy five cents. Please insert six dollars and seventy five cents in quarters. And I went, what? <laughs> Quarters? The, the, yeah. the Americans will not change out of their bloody useless banknotes, which are all the same size and all the same colour. This might you might know that Ray, the, the great uh, blind pianist singer Ray Charles, insisted on pay, being paid in one dollar notes because that way he couldn't be defrauded. Uh, whereas every <laughs> other country has notes that are different sizes and coins, twenty five cent coins. I mean, you can find similar denomination value coins where I've been in Budapest recently. But you know, Australia abolished the five cent coin what 20 years ago 30 years ago um, and, and the coins are now the coins have kept pace with inflation American coins and notes haven't kept pace with inflation and at the same time let's go back to our favourite topic here it's a great way to launder money when it's physical rather than mm-hmm. electronic so yeah. America's you know it, it, it's, it's stuck you, you cannot get Americans to use to use uh, to, to use make larger coins one dollar coins so, you know I think the main place we can buy one dollar coins is Ecuador 
Uh, you, just, you can't find machines to use $1 coins in America. They don't change their vending machines. So, like, exceptionalism can be backwards as well. Well, yeah. I mean, having said that, I uh, so a couple of stories coming out of that. One is I'm just imagining Ray Charles getting paid in, in, in dollar notes. I mean, he'd be, if he was around today, he'd be getting paid 10000 at least 10000 a night, wouldn't he? That's a, it's a, he's going to be up all night counting yeah, his money. He, was, he wasn't going to be defrauded. He found quite a few <laughs> times he'd go to put money in the bank and be told he thought he was depositing, you know, a thousand dollars and he would find mm. uh, only depositing a hundred, you know. So I'm talking about blind performance. I saw Stevie Wonder, uh, who was on stage. In, this was in Australia years and years ago. He was absolutely superb mm. with an amazing uh, backing band, a big brass section. Uh, so his, his band was on. Then he came onto the stage and he was carried onto the stage by two bouncers who put him in the middle of the piano. And he started playing, and it was just awful. And he just he just told everyone to stop. And then the bouncers came back on again and moved him into the right position on the piano. Because so, yeah. they basically put him in the wrong position. So he was playing all the wrong keys. It was just a joke <laughs> until they put him in the right place. And then he was fine from that point onwards. So that was that was fine. Anyway, just as an aside. But look, the reason why, isn't the reason why there's so much money, though, so much more cash, is because it's being used in so many more parts of the world as well. So the American dollar is not just being used within America. And you might be right that it's used more because there's more of a reliance. Although I have to say, I've just, I went in the middle of last year to Chicago, as I've mentioned. Mm. We, we, didn't, we didn't change any cash. We just relied on cards. Yeah. So we didn't. So we got by without the American dollar. Vending machines, yes. There's one at the airport which uh, took cards and asked for a tip. <laughs> Are you a, kidding? On a vending machine. Yeah, would you like to leave, you know, with the default, it uh, seems to be everywhere, 18.5% is the minimum tip for fucking to a vending, vending machine. machine. Oh, that's priceless. But, yeah, but this 10% of currency, isn't a lot of that going to be because the American dollar is being used in so many other parts of the world well, and it's being it used, depends, used, in, used in cash? And, I mean, it depends on the stats, whether your stats were actually American dollars and circ- currency in circulation in America or globally. Uh, but, but yeah. I think this is globally. Yeah, okay, yeah. well, globally. I mean, in, in that, well, you, when you've got countries where people don't trust the domestic currency, so Argentina and places like that, you, you have a secondary market in, in dollars as well as the local market in, in whatever the local currency is. So that's, and that again, you know, another huge mistake coming out of uh, Harry Dexter White uh, overruling Keynes and getting us to a domestic currency rather than an international currency for international trade. But yeah, that's a major part of it. And also, it's it's the, you know, it's, it's, again, money laundering and proceeds of crime. All this stuff is best handled with American dollars uh, than with any other currency because it is the international currency. So there we are. So another example of American exceptionalism. Uh, it's if you are trying to uh, defraud people, then it's the currency to use. Uh, but it, I mean, let's look at this word exceptionalism because it seems to be used a great deal again lately because of the strength of the share market and the strength of the tech sector. But you made the point. If you look at GDP per capita, uh, they're well down the uh, well down the table, if that's the best measure anyway. But the United States is number seven. Number one, understandably, is you know Monaco, Liechtenstein, all the tax dodge countries, yeah. Luxembourg, mm. Bermuda. Yep. All got something in common, haven't they? Then you get into Ireland, obviously doing quite well because it's... Uh, Similar it's tax te- dodge. Tax dodge for companies and Switzerland, mm-hmm. similarly, nice bank account. Norway, Cayman Islands. Norway's the first country that actually oh, started. The first to real emerge. country. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then Singapore, where we're back where we were, and Qatar, and then the United States. Uh, so, 
Actually, I mean, they, when you take out the tax dodge countries, actually, they are quite high up. Uh, but look but on other measures like health. income comes in as well. Yeah, yeah. And, then yeah. you've got a real problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then if you also look at the you know world trade, so they're not. I mean, you know, they're a big country that the world's largest economy, but they are what eleven percent of world trade. I mean, they are not exactly dominant. Seventy percent of, of of world stock market. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't make a great That's deal of sense, huge. does it? Well, the stock market itself doesn't make sense, and this is. And I was actually talking on my one of my uh, lecture courses about this with a, a new arrival, uh, and and that is that shares themselves should not be open ended because they're open ended. You can get these crazy valuations coming out of them, and that then means people buy them as speculative vehicles, not as vehicles to enable actual capital formation to occur. So I proposed when well back before the financial crisis that we should have we should remake shares in what are called jubilee shares when you when you buy them initially which is initial public offering so you are giving money to the company then they last forever if you don't sell them. But as soon as you sell them they've got a 30 year use by date. They expire after 30 years which would mean that you would therefore be forced to consider what is the income stream going to be over the next 30 years of this share back in the days when I thought we had 30 years to think about uh, and and that would mean that you are focusing on the dividend flow, which, according to conventional theory, that's what shares are based on. Of course, that's crazy. It is the, the shares of the share prices are based on expectations of capital gains, which again leads to this whole inflationary problem in asset prices. They're not based on what you mm. expect the income stream to be out of those companies, and that's why it can get incredible crashes when you know after a, a, a while the delusion that a share is going to be worth you know ten or a hundred times its price in ten years time from today it's collapses then the, the bubble bursts and you have you know I'm actually I'm actually reading the Doonesbury cartoons right now which about a 25 20 year lag on the real world 20 between 20 and 25 years and they're in the middle of the dot-com bubble and you're getting these you know valuations like pets.com which at one stage was worth more than you know all the retailers in America disappeared and and all all these things huge valuations crash huge valuations crash and this is yeah. the whole gambling I whether we're about to do it's, yeah i wonder whether we were there again with ai because all of these are being artificially inflated by ai talk and i just wonder whether it's another dot-com hype and we're going to see another crash because it of could that well i mean it, it, you know there's the huge I mean, when you look at the type of thing with ai does i use ai for note taking in my my lectures these days and they're great uh, you know at a level of you know, having an automated secretary that does the work which you normally say can somebody else take notes here please I mean nobody wanted the job and it was always poorly done and now you get a, quite a brilliant summary um, AI for diagnosis uh, AI for transfer for transportation there are so many areas which it will have quite a dramatic impact but still like the whole dot-com bubble it'll be overhyped in terms of current valuation so this idea that you uh, shares start to lose value the moment you start to trade on the secondary market. I mean, the advantage of that, obviously, that does sort of get over this hoteling type principle that you're talking about, where if you want to invest, you've got to invest in the United States. And you do that because you expect you're going to see the share price rise so much more there because there's so much more speculation via the Cayman Islands, as we you were take, You take it out of the equation, if, yeah. If you take that out of the equation, then yeah, then you might get to the situation where somebody could, in Europe, for example, say, well, yeah, we've got a great idea, let's list, let's list in Europe because... You know, we're going to get the same level of investment as in the United States. We're going to see the same um, increase in the in the value of shares as we would in the United States. 
that drive to to the for all shares to go to the United States might start to disappear. And you'd also get more genuine capital formation coming out of it because uh, the main way you're going to make money is by finding that company which actually is going to generate a permanent income flow over time, uh, rather than the one who you think uh, everybody's going to do the, um, the 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 hot potato routine on, which is what you get instead. Uh, so Keynes mm. described a stock market as being like a beauty contest where the prize is given. Uh, where you give so you're supposed to, you know, that's, this is, of course, looking at only at women. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to pick the, the 10 most beautiful women out of a list of 100. And the prize goes to the person who guesses what the, av- what the majority opinion is. And he says you don't win by picking the most beautiful person or even the person that most other people think is going to be picked by others as the most beautiful person. You've got to pick the person who most other people think is going to, other people are going to think is the most beautiful person. And he called it the madness of the third degree. And I think that aptly describes how stock markets actually behave. And the fact that we don't reform them shows how little they are to about capital creation. So we're not saying, okay, we're not basing our valuations on a company based on what we think the company is worth or basing on what we think, think other people think it's worth? No, what other people think, other people think it's going to be worth. No. It's a three-stage, and, and this is where you get the absurd <laughs> bubbles and crashes coming out of it rather than people saying, this is a really interesting technology. We need to develop this. That's what an intelligent society would be doing. Right. So uh, is, is this bubble in, in equities, is that hiding uh, what could be a dangerous position for America then? Because if we look at world trade, I mean, they so actually in twenty twenty two, the total trade in goods and services in billions for the US uh, was six. Well, okay, in trillion, six point seven trillion. The European Union, eight point one trillion. China, seven point one trillion. So if you look at international trade, they're third place. Yeah, yeah, and, and this comes back to the extent to which that money speculation on stock markets is turning to physical capital uh, and and also the competitiveness of the technology you're producing with the rest of the world's physical capital. And it's it's clearly that America's great at creating paper wealth, but it's not creating uh, long-term capital assets, which are the form in which we actually can produce physical goods and services to give us the, the genuine um, standard of living. I mean, again, living up the climate changes as I have to whenever I talk about this stuff these days. Uh, but it, it is not a way of doing capital formation. It's a way of speculation, and it en- ends up with you know wasted capital being created out of it uh, because people are forced to put some of that huge paper valuation into physical capital, which then is over-invested, useless, loses money, boom, crash, boom, crash. We're back in the boom, crash opera. Yeah, okay, rather than producing stuff which could be exported, which could help uh, America's trade position. So its share of global GDP, by the way, 40% in 1960. Obviously, since 1960, global GDP has increased a great deal, so that partially explains this figure. But it's gone from 40% in 1960 to just 24% now. In the same time, China's gone four percent to sixteen percent. Of course, the rest of the world has skyrocketed. So, you know, the, at the turn of the century, GDP, global G- GDP, was thirty-five trillion. Now it's close to ninety trillion. But uh, America is is a declining share of that of that world trade, even if it is an increasing share of the equity market. So, two very and, different and, things. And that's come back to the point you started with. It's actually mm. destructive of America to have these overvalued stock markets. Yeah. Yeah. And even when you look at, you know, things that in the tech sector where you think, well, OK, they're dominating and clearly they are. 
but will they do that forever? So if there is a if there is a collapse in shares, what does that do for the, the you know if the valuation of those businesses fall? Uh, how does that change the enthusiasm for those companies to invest further and to expand, or does it give opportunities elsewhere? So you look at Amazon, for example, and it, it accounts for half of all the e-commerce in America. Uh, you know, compared to Apple, for example, which is four percent of all e-commerce in America. So it's huge in America, but it's small compared to Alibaba. So two hundred and thirty-nine billion for in terms of global sales for Amazon, compared to seven hundred and sixty-five billion for Alibaba. So we talk about American exceptionalism, but th- th- that's fine, so long as we ignore China, perhaps. <laughs> that's a mistake China's been, America's been making for about 40 years now. So it could all change, couldn't it? It could all turn. I'm just wondering whether, and, and is it the equity market that's going to cause that th- that change? Yeah, I think it's going to be manifest in the equity market rather than caused by the equity market. I'm not sure what we, what what have we declared. American exceptionalism is a myth, perhaps. No, well, the, the mental belief in it's it's certainly real. Uh, but the whether exceptionalism leads to exceptional performance is another story entirely. And what you're pointing out at the end there is that the exceptional performance of the stock market is not not at all mirrored in the performance of the physical economy. And that's where uh, you know other ways of creating capital, other ways of uh, bringing about investment are more successful than the casino approach America has gone Yeah, Very good. Very clear. Good to talk. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you. Welcome, mate. Okay, bye. The Debunking Economics Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.